My name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor today. Uh, often I, I preach and talk up here, and today we have a special treat. Uh, Philip's going to come up in a second. Let me remind you who we are. We are the Springs. We're part of a larger family named Every Nation, and we're here to help people grow in being followers of Christ, family-focused fishers of men. We've had a really good time all year, pretty much all year, intermittently taking breaks, but going through the whole book of Genesis. And Philip's going to take us forward to where we are today for the next five weeks in a little mini-series going through chapters 40 through 50 of Genesis, mini-series entitled Redemption. Come on, who wants redemption? Man, I, before I even knew what that word meant, I knew it was a good one, all right? Redemption, okay? I want to just explain who Philip is for a second here. A few weeks ago, I was really struggling. I was kind of uh, suffering under the weight of all the things that I wasn't doing very well as a pastor. You know, and, and it's like every book I read, it was just add to the list of things I'm not doing very good or things I'm not very qualified in and all the stuff you're supposed to do in a church that I'm just not doing very well in, right? And then I had a, a pastor friend at a, a meeting of Every Nation Leaders who said, hey, let me help you with what a, what a prayerful dream for a church should be in the next few years. If you could imagine what someone would look like after five years and being in your church, what would that person look like? And I started to imagine, but after a few moments, I didn't have to imagine anymore. I could just look and think of deep friendships that I have in this church and get to boast in the Lord about how he's, got, he's given me the privilege to be a part of a church where my dream is literally happening now. And Philip is one of the first people that came to my mind. The man that he is, he's been a part of this church for seven years. So if you do the math, uh, he was like 11 or something then, right? <laughs> Philip, I'm going to bring him up. He's going to preach through Genesis. He's trying to set a record today for uh, the, uh, the, the most, most amount of Bible per pound of person today. <laughs> and he's, I think he's got it. So thank you, Philip. think I'm on here, yeah. All right. Wow. I love that worship because uh, I just see of myself, you know, we're singing Impossible God, and I'm like, man, I am impossibly up here today because who would let a 17-year-old preach from the pulpit? <laughs> <laughs> An amazing grace to me is something that keeps me humble because, uh, man, God's good to me. Well, Good morning. Good morning. I like that. Good morning. Well, today is a November Sunday. Actually, it's the 15th, so payday. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's right. And Pastor Peter, he introduced me. My name's Philip McWhorter. I'd like to introduce my family. I'd talk about my title a little bit. I serve as the administrative director here in this church, and uh, I have a wonderful family. Hannah McWhorter, she is my really beautiful, awesome, amazing wife. Kudos for me for saying that. I was going to say something a little bit more embarrassing, but I refrain. And so I also have two kids. Imagine that, my young complexion. I have two babies. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old. He is a rambunctious little toddler. His name is Eli. I have a six-month-old, cuter than all the other babies. Her name is Lottie. Lottie. And it, her original name is really Charlotte. She was born a couple days before the Royals, so we feel like we, uh, we won. We beat it. We claim the name Charlotte. So we call her Lottie. But um, 
I would like to also extend a little bragging to Pastor Peter. I think we're just going to exchange encouragement or whatever, but I prefer to actually rag him a little bit, but I can't do that right now because I have too many good things to say about him. So he's the reason why I'm up here. He is an amazing leader who will empower people. Okay, a few years ago, I was going to preach, and he gave me the opportunity without ever hearing me preach. Uh, what an amazing uh, gift of empowering. And some call that not wisdom, but he's an empowering leader, an amazing guy. He's the reason why I get to do something that I really love. I really love talking and teaching, and I love the Bible and transferring that to other people. It's amazing. So thank you. Thank you for giving me a chance. It's amazing. I feel like my life trajectory is on a different path because of you and for the better. So thank you so much. Come on, give them up. But enough of that. We don't have time to dilly-daddle on encouraging words today. We're going to get into the word this morning. Hallelujah. Come on. We've got a lot of Bible to cover because we've got two chapters, 40 and 41 of Genesis. Like he said, we're in our survey of the book of Genesis with a sermon series entitled Redemption. Come on, finally. Finally, we're at the point of redemption. All this crazy like circumcision and murder and sexual debauchery and all sorts of crazy stuff that you read in Genesis. And we get to see the resolution of some of those things. What an amazing gift. Finally, it's taken us months to get there. But we're going to continue on with the story of Joseph. Okay, Joseph might be one of the most epic stories of all time, if not the most epic. Lord of the Rings got nothing on Joseph. Well, maybe not. I don't know. I love, it might be second, okay? So um, we're going to get into our chapter here, Genesis 40 and 41. And I will be doing a dramatic reading, all in a British accent today. So here we go. Evening, got, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm really not going to do that. I, I have a terrible British accent. Uh, some of y'all were gullible. I know Tessa was. She probably thought so. <laughs> I got you today. All right, so I'm going to retell the story as best I can today so that we don't read through it. It would take me way too long. So, in some time, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, they committed offense against the pharaoh. Okay? And they were thrown into prison. And, and incidentally, the same prison that Joseph, our main character, is in today. He's in prison, and he's charged by the captain of the guard to watch over these two men. Okay? So he's in prison. These two men are in prison. And they have some dreams. They have dreams on the same night, and they wake up, and they're freaked out. They're like, what is this? There's no one to interpret. All the wise people are in Egypt, in the palace. But there's this one man who said to him, he, they, he, uh, Joseph saw that they were downcast, and he says, and I'm going to pull this out right here, um, and he said to them, let's see, I think the verse is up here, uh, why are your faces downcast? Let's see here, where is it? And he, Joseph said to him, do not interpretations belong to God, please tell them to me. So this is where it gets really fun. So the, the cupbearer says to Joseph, he tells him the dream. He says, okay, I'm seeing a vine, and three branches are branching out, and there's blossoms and grapes ripening, and I'm going to take those grapes. I take those grapes, and I squish them into the cup, and I hand that cup to the Pharaoh. And, he, and Joseph says to him, okay, this is your interpretation. After three days' time, you 
the Pharaoh is going to lift up your head and restore you to your original position. And if you can imagine what's going on in the cupbearer's mind when he says this, like, yes, I get to go back to my original position. I get to hand the cup to the Pharaoh. And if anybody tries to poison the Pharaoh, I'll be the first to know. Praise God, right? Terrible job. Just the worst, but redemption nonetheless. And so the baker's overhearing all this stuff, and he says, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to tell you my dream. I think it's going to be good. It was favorable. So he says to him, I saw myself with three baskets with cakes on top of my head, and the top cake got eaten by a bunch of birds. And, and Joseph says to him, this is your interpretation. After three days' time, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head from you. And the birds are going to eat your flesh. What an amazing (laughs) interpretation. I'm sure he felt great after that. Well, three days pass, and the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, has a birthday. And of course, when it's your birthday and you're king, you're going to throw a feast. You're going to throw a party. So he brings the cupbearer and the baker in front of everybody, and he lifts both their heads up, and he restores the cupbearer, and he hangs the baker. And this is where a a little bit of a tragic moment at the end of chapter 40, because when Joseph was telling the cupbearer about the the interpretation, he does say this one thing. He says, okay, when you get out of here, remember me. (coughs) Remember what I did because I was in prison wrongly accused and I would like to get out. So it's kind of like scratch my back, I scratch your ears, come on, you know, (laughs) do this for me. But he says at the end Of chapter 40, he says this. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph and forgot him. Everybody say, that's cold. cold. Yeah, that's real cold. All right, so that's the end of chapter 40. Let's move on to chapter 41. It says, after two whole years, that's a long time to wait, two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. Interesting, we're seeing a little theme going on. Pharaoh dreamed, and he dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and there were seven plump, fat, awesome-looking cows, and they were grazing in the grass, and then seven ugly, gnarly-looking, crazy, thin cows come up out of the Nile, all creepy-like, and they come and devour the seven plump cows. And then he wakes up, and he falls back into another dream, okay? And then this dream's very similar. He sees seven really good corn on one stalk. And then he sees this other corn, seven more corn that are just kind of like gnarly looking. And they come and swallow up the good corn. And then he wakes up. And what's amazing about the Bible, sometimes the Bible will throw in some, some irony here. Because imagine this, if you dream something, and then you, have you ever done this? You've dreamed something, you wake up, and then you fall right back into the dream, right? Like, oh, I couldn't get away from this. Or you just dream about crazy cows and corn. Have you ever done that? I mean, you'd be a little spooked, right? More than spooked. You'd be freaked out. But the Bible's really funny. It says, in the next morning, his spirit was troubled. Of course it was troubled. My gosh. He was looking at crazy, creepy-looking corn. So he's he's all freaked out, and he... he tells all of his uh, magicians and wise men, he's like, hey, I need an interpretation. Come on. No one could do it. And, f- okay, everybody say, finally. Finally. The cupbearer remembers Joseph. Man, it took forever. 
So he says, the cupbearer says, I remember my offenses. And then this Hebrew interpreted a dream for me, and I think he could do the same for you. And so Pharaoh's like, oh, bring it, come on, bring him in. And so what they do is, the, the Bible says, and Pharaoh sent for him, and, they came, and he came quickly out of the pit. Came quickly out of the pit. Then they shaved him, put some nice clothes on, and presented him before Pharaoh. Okay, so Pharaoh then begins to tell Joseph the dream. Then he gets finished with the dream, and Joseph says, well, it's not, it's not me who's going to interpret this. It's, it's God going to bring it. So he tells him the interpretation. He says, these two dreams are one. And it's, you have two of them, so it's going to happen for sure. God's going to make it happen, and it's going to happen quickly. He says the seven plump cows are seven years of plenty, and the seven crazy-looking cows and corn are seven years of famine. And then Joseph gets extra bold, and he starts saying to him, like, okay, this is what you do. You set a wise man over them. You uh, collect one-fifth of the corn and uh, all the wheat, and you store that up for the year of famine. And this pleased Pharaoh, and he says, well, where are we going to find this wise man? Who has the Spirit of the Lord? And then he looks at Joseph, and he says, I see that you're a discerning man and that you are wise. How about you do it? And so then the Bible says that he adorned him with the signet ring, which is a big deal, the signet ring, and fine linen and a gold chain. Come on, everybody say bling, bling, right? He got it. He got it. So I had to do it. The rest of the story goes like this. He gets a wife and has a couple babies. Names them Manasseh and Ephraim. I think I said that right. And then what happens is he collects all the grain in the land and he stores it up. And when the seven years of famine come, the Egyptians buy the grain from Joseph. And not only just the Egyptians, but the whole world comes to Egypt to buy grain, and Joseph saves the world. Isn't that an amazing story? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, while I was dreaming last night, I had a couple dreams. Actually, three to be exact. Uh, If you would like to hear them, would you like to hear them, my dreams that I had? It has nothing to do with the message. I'm just kind of going with the theme of dreams. So uh, I had three dreams last night, and I'm not kidding with you. First one was a crazy, evil, demonic, scary dream. I don't know what happened, but I woke up shaking and sweating. I don't know if anybody's experienced that, but apparently the devil's a coward because he tries to attack me in my sleep. So that was the first dream. Woke up, and I was like, you know, I've learned... Uh, from time to time about having dreams like this that are evil, I just wake up and praise Jesus. And so I'm in, at three o'clock in the morning, I think Hannah was sleeping. I was like, praise you, God. I love you. Devil, you get out of here. So and I, Jesus, help me go back to sleep because I'm really freaked out right now. So then I go back to sleep. I jump right back into sleep and I had this dream that I was getting all the slides ready for the sermon and I was getting the church ready and it was going awful, just terrible. So apparently I was a little freaked out for this moment. So I was dreaming about that. The third dream was even stranger. So I was, uh, I was a part of a heist that I can't describe to you any way, but that a 
that a, uh, a girl from my elementary school was planning this heist, and she, I was involved, so was George Clooney, so, yeah. <laughs> and I am a part of this, whole, uh, this heist, and I'm hiding at this point, so the heist is happening, I'm hiding, and she comes out with everybody, she says, ha ha ha, this was just a hoax, so that I could ask you out. I don't know what that's about. I'm sure Freud could tell me. I guess I have some weird things about asking. I don't have a clue, but I don't really want an interpretation of that one. That really had nothing to do with dreams because the rest of the sermon I want to talk about, not dreams, but redemption. And I want to, I want to say, I want to use dreams to support the redemption, but I want to, I want to just talk about Joseph's redemption story because it's amazing and I relate to Joseph's story a lot and since I'm preaching I get to do what I want up here so I'm going to talk about that today all right and really in order to truly understand Joseph's story we have to roll back in time a little bit uh, because it's an overarching story and so we're going to go back to when we were when he was a kid, and he received, Joseph, when he was a kid, received a couple amazing uh, dreams, and Joseph was loved dearly by his famous father, Jacob, or Israel, at that time, and uh, it, it cost, he was loved more than his siblings. He also had a couple of vi- these vivid dreams, and uh, about, they were about like wheat, and stars, and moons bowing down, it was a little... It was pretty obvious to them because they weren't very happy, but you can see that dreams truly mark Joseph's life. Dreams marked his life. And we see him with the gift of interpretation of dreams. He starts to practice in the prison and then perfect it in front of the Pharaoh. It's an amazing story. And when Joseph first received the dreams when he was a kid... I believe he was a little full of himself. That's what I believe. Some people disagree, but I think he was a little full of himself because he didn't have to tell his whole family, right? He could have just said, hey, dad, check this out. I got a dream over here. And his dad would probably have been like, hey, bro, I don't think you should tell anybody that. You just keep to yourself. But no, he goes out and he just says, hey, everybody, you're going to bow down before me. A little full of himself. Um, and so he was, in that sense, he was a little haughty, I think, a little haughty. And... Uh, this caused division in his family, a lot of division, and ultimately drove his brothers to sell him into slavery. And while in slavery, Potiphar's wife would come on to him many times, like always trying to get after him. And it came to a zenith when one time they were in the palace alone, and she came on to him, and he, she, he ran, but she grabbed a hold of his clothes, and so he's running around naked, and she's lying to Potiphar, and she's saying that he did this and that, and ultimately what happened, he's in prison. That's where we see him in this story. He's wrongfully accused. He's in the pit, as the Bible describes, and that's where we are. And I really, I do have a really catchy title today. I know we haven't been doing titles a lot, but titles are kind of fun. So here's my title. From the pit to the palace. That's good, y'all. That's real good. We got alliteration and everything. From the pit to the palace. It's good. It's real good. 
And so we see this title play out in chapter 40 and 41. And it's a picture. This is a picture of what redemption looks like and what we all desire. We all desire redemption. In some form or fashion, we all want it. It's like woven into our lives. We all desire it. I was wrongly accused and now I'm breaking out. That's our attitude, right? That's what we want. But if that's all you see in this story, you're really missing out. You're really missing the point because redemption is not an outcome. Redemption is a process. You're going to help me with this one. Say this with me again, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, and that's when you say it. Redemption is not a... Outcome. Redemption is a... Process. That's right. Come on, yeah. This is good. It's good stuff. All right. So I believe there's a principle here that we need to see behind the redemption story. Behind the process, behind the redemption story, there's, a, there's a one principle I'd like to talk about. And it comes from 1 Peter 5... Six, and I'm going to open up my gigantic Bible here and read out of it. I think it's going to be up on the screen. Five, six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. He may exalt you. Boy, we really love that exalting part, don't we? We love it. We love that, that touchdown to win the game, right? We love that moment of exaltation. I mean, Peter has this amazing sermon called Fourth Quarter Comeback. It's, it's a great sermon if you haven't heard it. You know, but we all love the exaltation, but if, he could probably tell you the process. It's a little bit more difficult to want to have, and you might want to change your title to From the Pit to the Palace, so maybe you don't have to add on to your life more fourth quarter comebacks. It's maybe wise, I don't know. God just keeps bringing you those moments so that you can have an amazing sermon. But the process, we don't like it. We don't like it at all. We like the outcome. We like the exaltation. We like that moment. But maybe, just maybe today, we can learn the value of the process through the redemption story of Joseph. Fair enough? Y'all with me? This is good? All right, we'll keep going here. The young Joseph received these amazing dreams from God. His brothers became angry and sells him into slavery. And I'd say that this moment right here is what you call being humbled, okay? Being humbled. And don't get me wrong, the brothers were 100% responsible for their egregious sin of selling, the brother, uh, selling Joseph into slavery. But you see here that Joseph was the one that was humbled because he was the favorite son, now a lowly slave. He was humbled, Okay? Have you ever been humbled? Anybody? Man, I feel like I'm being humbled like all the time. Like, especially with kids. I'm always being humbled. But growing up, I was a bit full of myself. And I say a bit, really I was an arrogant you-know-what. That was me. Part of God's gift to me was that I was able to do many things really well without much effort 
and you know those people because you don't like those people. You are frustrated by those people. You're frustrated by me. I mean, be honest. (laughs) The friends that I had growing up didn't even like me, okay? That's how bad this was. (laughs) Meredith's laughing over there. (laughs) Unfortunately for me, the thing that did not come easy to me was humility, okay? I was really good at the other stuff. I wish that I could say that when I was a child, I thought like a child, I said like a child, no. And then I grew up, and I was an adult, and I changed my ways. But that's not the case at all for me, because there's some different stories about me being humbled, even as a 17-year-old boy. No, I'm just kidding. So whenever I, I want there's a particular story about me being humbled that I'd like to tell you. Would you like to hear about me being humbled? It's always fun to hear about somebody else being humbled, right? Yeah, okay. So... <laughs> This church, I started to work here in 2012. So this is um, July 2012. And uh, it was just me and Pastor Peter. We were the dynamic duo. We were uh, doing a building renovation and doing church services on Sunday morning at LBJ. We were also trying to create a team around us to help us carry the load of ministry. And I, uh, I was elevated into this position and, uh, you know, I had big dreams for this church. I had, I, I'm a dreamer in a sense, like kind of ridiculous dreams. But I had big dreams and things that I wanted to do. And uh, unfortunately, uh, this was a very, a very unhealthy time because the things that I wanted to do and see happen weren't happening very easily. And that's a deadly combination for somebody that has had ease his whole life. Okay? So things were not going very well. But we did start to get a little traction, and we started to build up the staff a little bit, and we uh, started, people started help, and then I was appointed to be uh, le- leading meetings and um, doing things of that nature, leading people, and uh, what happened was, this is not fun to say, but um, I started to have big dreams for these people, like, oh, they're going to serve me so well, and I'm going to be the best leader on the planet, it's going to be amazing, but it did not go well again because I started to get really frustrated, defensive, because things weren't going the way I wanted them to go, okay? And so it finally came to a head when, when I was in a really tough meeting. And Pastor Peter, after that meeting, pulled me aside and in not so tender words like Jesus does with us, but he still spoke the truth. He basically said, I was the problem. I was the problem. In that moment, I felt that being humbled. Now, I had a choice in that moment, okay? I had a choice to, to be humble or to continue on in that pride that, was, that I was circling in, that pride that was taking over. But God moved in my heart that day, and I was able to be humbled in that moment. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Because I could have made excuses. I could have made plenty of excuses because people had plenty of problems. Not just me. But the Lord moved and I was humble. And now looking back, I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you. If I wasn't humbled, I would have continued on, on and on with breaking relationships and being miserable because I was miserable already. 
and I would have continued on, and God gave me an amazing grace. And I might have already, I might have been looking for a new job if I hadn't been moved by God to be humble in that moment. So thank you, Jesus, that redemption isn't an outcome. Redemption is a process. And we see this in Joseph. In Potiphar's house, it seemed like things were looking up for Joseph, okay? He was rising in ranks. He was taking over the house. He was a well-favored servant. But then, the next humbling moment wasn't even his fault. Somebody falsely accused him. But again, he was favored servant to prisoner. He was humbled yet again. And it's so easy for us in these moments to get angry with God, okay? Because it's like, gosh, God, I was serving you. I was doing all these things for you. Why did you allow this nonsense to happen? Why are you torturing me? I mean, where does that come from? Where does that attitude come from? Because that's not humility. That's pride. That's the ugly nature of pride that just kind of comes out of you. And it just kind of makes you feel like, ugh. I mean, I've experienced this in the last few months, actually. You know, that whole thing of like, that person's still not doing what I asked them to do. Son, if you throw another rock at me again, oh. <laughs> or this, God, why haven't you fixed this? I am serving you. Why haven't you done this yet? That's pretty ugly, right? That's not good. But what we can see in this story is really how we're supposed to react in those moments. Because what did Joseph do and what did Joseph say while he was in the pit? And we see this in Genesis 39, a little earlier, 22. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, who did it? Joseph did it. He worked hard. He worked hard in prison. Okay? And later it actually says that the favor of the Lord was on him. And I don't know, it's like, oh, favor of the Lord is on Joseph, but what about me? Where's God in my situation? Come on. That's not right. If you're a child of God, you have the favor of the Lord. Work hard in your pit. Work hard. That's what Joseph did. Now, what did, that was what he did. Now, what did he say? Because we all know that there's, there's power in what we speak. There's, there's death and life in the power of the tongue. We all know that. So what did he say in this moment? We see this in Genesis 40, verse 8. And, Je- and Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. Joseph still had faith in God. He still had faith in God. But not only just faith in God, but he ministered to the other prisoners. He ministered to the other prisoners. What do you do and say when you're in the pit? That's a hard question. What do you do and what do you say while you're in the pit of your life? After this message, I'm going to go home and memorize 1 Peter 5, 6. Because I need to tell myself, be humble, be humble, be humble, because that's not my natural disposition. That's not who I am naturally. Because I really want to be Joseph in this story. Like, I really do. I feel like he's admirable character in the verses that we read. But what's cool is that when, when God's redeeming your story, he, 
he's not only just redeeming your story, he redeems the people around you, okay? This cupbearer was redeemed through Joseph. God was re- is redeeming Joseph, but he also is redeeming people around him. That's how great God's redemption story is. It's not just for you, it's for other people. It's amazing. Because this, redemption isn't an outcome. Redemption is the process, okay? That's what it is. And it's amazing. So, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And in the proper time, he may exalt you. So let's talk about the exalting part, because this is where the story gets fun. Because we all love the exalting. We all love it. We all love that, you know, that touchdown dance. You know, we, we do. We love that dance, right? That's the moment that we all just go, yes. Well, let's look at it. It's in Genesis 41, 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. I want to make something very clear right now. When God decides that it's time for you to be exalted, it will happen quick. It will happen quick. And this is true in my life. So in the past few months, since my daughter's been born, I've been having a pit emotionally uh, time in my life. I've been in the pit. Um, whenever you have kids, and second, for sure, you, uh, you, the time for yourself is few and far between. And that little toddler is a little too close for comfort, you know? Like... It's, it's not always fun. And I know that verse when it says, you know, you're blessed is a man who's full of quiver. But come on, it's hard having kids. It is so hard having kids. And your time is, you're, at four, I'm praise God for four. He's got a full quiver right there. Half full, there you go. But in those times, your time is no longer your time if you want to be a successful father and husband. That's true. It's not your time anymore. But for me, what happened was I turned into this really intense selfishness. I turned inward in those moments. I would do this. I would go outside anytime I wanted to, read books or listen to music, whatever I wanted. I would just leave and go outside and leave Hannah to take care of the kids. Now, before you judge me, I need to tell you something about me. You know those people that need fuel. You know, you need fuel in your life. People, you need to refuel. Okay, so I'm a person that needs to refuel by leaving, by getting away for a few minutes, and then I come back and I'm pretty good, okay? I'm not like the people uh, that get around people and that's how they fuel. You know, you get a, I'm not like those people. If I'm at a party or a gathering, don't be surprised to not see me for a few minutes because I need to get away from y'all. I get tired. I, I know Shag can relate. And Pastor Shaq can relate to that. Um, so I refuel by going outside. So here's what I was thinking. After, I w- after Lottie was born, I was feeling empty. And I was feeling like I was on E. And this is what I said to myself. I need to go outside and refuel for me. So that whenever I come back inside, I can refuel my family. And it sounds really good. Right. But if you don't see the deceptive pride in there, I need to go outside because I need to refuel so I can refuel my family. You see the deceptive pride that just kind of comes right out? That's what was happening to me. Until one morning, 
I was outside, right? Okay. I was outside and I was spending time with God. And I heard this still quiet voice in my head. And the Lord, I feel like, spoke to me in that moment and said, your job is them. Your job is them. And that moment, I broke. I, I started like boohoo crying, like prom style crying, where you're just mascara running. I, I'm, I mean, <laughs> I guess not your prom, but... <laughs> But I was boohooing because God was revealing to me that I was not ministering to my family. I was not spending time with my family. I was not refueling my family. I was doing none of that. I was stuck inside this cycle of selfishness. I was just in this cycle. But almost immediately, when we say God quickly exalts you, (laughs) immediately I felt the pride wash off. And I felt like my mind was exalted in that moment. Like, okay, now I can do this. I can go. I can go do this now. And I was, it's almost like that moment of my heart was humble before God because I saw what I wasn't doing. And I was humble. And I did say, God, you've got to help me because this is really hard. But I humbled my heart. And in that moment, quickly, God exalted my mind. It's been a couple weeks and I can say that I'm stumped a little bit, but I'm getting there, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on up a little bit, but I know now whenever I do stumble that immediately if I humble myself before the Lord, immediately in those moments, I will be exalted. It's an amazing promise. And that's what we see with Joseph here. After he interprets the dream of Pharaoh, Joseph got the hookup, y'all. He got the ring. He got the linen. He got the gold jack. He got it all. I mean, God really made a spectacular example of what humility and exaltation look like in this man. It's awesome. But now the question before us, this is the tricky one. What do we do when the Bible says the proper time? What do we do about that? We all want to be exalted. We want all of our plans to work out exactly how they do. We want all the success. We want all the glamour. We want it all right now. But what do you do with the proper time portion of this thing? Remember, redemption isn't an outcome. Redemption is a process. Think about this. If Joseph had been exalted when he was a 17-year-old child, how do you think Egypt would have done? Just as good as me when I was in the position within this church that I shouldn't have been. Really bad. Messed it all up. That's what happens when you get exalted before the proper time. It's a process. This phrase right here might change your life. I hope it does. We'll see. The process is what prepares you for your purpose. It's the process that prepares you for your purpose because that's what happened with Joseph. That's what's happening in my life. It's the process. How are you doing with the process? That's a valid question. How are you doing with the process? 
when you're in the pit, how are you doing with the process? And we're, we're all in the process at some area of our life. This is not just like a black and white thing where it's like, I'm in the process, and I'm in the process, I'm exalted, I'm humble. No, it's, there's areas, specific areas, all, the, all, all of our lives that we see this play out. And if you don't see this, I'm going to guess that you have some sort of pride blocking your view. I think you might have some pride blocking your view in that area. If that's the case, unfortunately, humbling is coming your way. Been there, done that, probably going to do it again. Okay? The pride is blocking you. We all have an opportunity right now, though. We all have an opportunity to preemptively humble ourselves before the Lord. Um, but you might be asking, oh, I wish I knew how to humble myself. That's a valid question. While humility really is, is an action, I think it's more of a response. If you look all the way back to Joseph when he received the dreams from God, this is what happened to him. You'll see something very insightful. He believed God. He believed that those dreams were going to come to pass. He believed his family would bow down before him one day. When he was in the pit, he remembered the dreams. He believed God. That's how he could be humble and not gripe. He believed him. He had a word from the Lord. Do you have a word from God? Do you have promises that you're standing on today? Will you humble yourself today? I mean, will you do that? Is that something you're willing to do? I mean, because it's really your choice. You can do whatever you want. That's kind of the beauty of it. You can do whatever you want to do. God will allow it. But will you humble yourself? And I said that humility is a response. The ultimate response. The Okay, you try to humble yourself and you fail. I mean, that happens a lot, right? You try to do the right thing, you fail. But here's the, here's the key. Humility is a response. The power of the cross is how we respond in humility. It's the power of Jesus that enables us to be humble. And we respond to his Death and resurrection on the cross. That's what, that, that's what we do. We respond to what he's done to us. That's how we be humble. It's not just your own efforts. It's a response. It's a life yes. response that gives you power to be humble. And then in due time, you will be exalted. That's the story. That's the story here. Jesus was humble on a cross. And, you know, it says that you will be humble or you'll be exalted in, in, in the proper time. Well, Jesus wasn't exalted yet. Jesus humbled himself so we could be exalted. And now he's on the throne. But he did that for us so that we could be exalted. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. And we respond to his story in humility. And I want to end here today by giving us an opportunity to respond in humility. And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to show us a few things in our hearts. Thank you, Danny. 
he's going to show us some areas in our lives where we're not humble. I, I have a lot of faith that he's already showing us areas in our heart where we need to be humble before, the God, for, before God, to be humble before him. And I want to be bold today. I would like, let's start with here. Every, every eye bound, head bowed, every eye closed. Just this private moment. I want to cre- we want to create this private moment between you and God because I want God to do some work on us today. I'm going to be bold this morning and say, if there are areas in your life where you want to be humble and you need power, in this moment, if you are physically able and willing that even while Danny's playing, that you will get on your knees. When you get on your knees, what that is, it's not, it's not humility in the sense of your heart. It's just a sign that your heart is being humble before God. And I want to encourage you, if you are feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit on you right now, that you need to be humble before the Lord. I invite you, if you're able and willing, if you're not able physically, hand sign something before God right now that says, I am being humble before you. We're going to take a few minutes in this moment, and I do want to bring up one thing. If you're struggling right now, you feel like the, the Lord is tugging, you, you feel like the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, I, I want you to get on your knees and be humble and you're fighting internally right now, if there are some things that you're fighting, that's the pride. That's the pride. So we're going to take just a few moments to be humble before the Lord. And then I'm going to pray, and then we'll have Catherine come up and do some announcements. Jesus, I confess today that I am a prideful man. Lord, there are areas in my life that I need to be humble before you, but I just struggle to. Lord, I just ask right now that you would give me power to be humble before you, to be vulnerable before you. Lord, I ask the same thing for every person in this room. You give them the power to be humble before you to be vulnerable to see and respond to your amazing gift of salvation we love you Lord we thank you we thank you for the healing in this room thank you that your presence is made known to us Lord I pray that this day would be a transformational day in our minds and our hearts that we would love you and serve you more and more today in the in the spirit of humility and not in the spirit of striving but in humility by your power and grace in this moment you can come back to your chairs still keep being humble in your heart Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your power.
your might today. And we love you. We thank you. And I bless your people today to go from this place hearts aligned, hearts bowed before you, God. And there will be new power, new exaltation, new amazing things that they've never felt before because you're a good father and you reward those who seek you. So Lord, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You're amazing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Catherine.